a Belgian wheat beer. Wit, uh, as a wit beer. I had Belgian. <laughs> I had Belgian on the tip of my tongue, but I was like, no, there's a bit too much of a. Uh, you ever licked the top of a bottle cap? <laughs> that kind of minerally metal bitter taste to so it's it. Got, it's metallic. You yeah. taste it in this? Yeah. I mean, it's super grainy. And you also get that kind of Belgian spice and bubble gum from the from the Belgian yeast. I was getting a bit of of that Belgian, and I was like, oh, but it doesn't. It, um, it's. I guess I expect them to be a little bit on the sweeter side, mm. <clears throat> not on the that metallic side. And that's what was throwing me off. Interesting. But. Yeah, there's uh, lots of different styles of beer in Belgium, ranging from super low gravity to super high crazy stuff. <clears throat> All right, John. Well, you know what? I want to do it just at the top of the show. Get this out of the way. For people who are new or are listening for the first time, this podcast is actually uh, – there's a there's a quite a large community around it. And we tend to gather on a something called a Slack team, right? And uh, we always encourage everyone if you if you haven't checked out the Slack yet, that maybe something you like, maybe something you don't like, but it's worth checking out at least. And you do that by going to gooddayserpodcast.com and clicking on community and just putting your email address, and John will add you. Um, but it's uh, it's a fun place. It's helpful, and we tell jokes and help each other fix or work around or sell source issues, or if you're having trouble with stuff or whatever. It's a little bit of a support group. Um, other just front matter. Um, speaking of the, what were we talking about earlier? That what's that event that's coming to Dallas? Is there? There's a world tour <clears throat> or something like that, right? What? Uh, yeah, world tour. That's right. So I just found out I'm going to be probably roped into going to that. Um, roped in. Huh? So um, we what does should, that mean? Roped in? <laughs> <laughs> does anyone actually want to go to those things? <laughs> It's it's a requirement of my employment is what I mean by that. Those those seems like very salesy heavy type things. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a mini Dreamforce, which yeah. is incredibly sales heavy. I mean that's, that's Well, what, Dreamforce, I mean, you could you can make the argument that it's it's all inclusive, <clears throat> but it seems like these world tours are very salesy specific. I, I don't like know they that want, they want to get customers in there and Okay, so you've been to one of these before? I've been I don't want to say I've been to one. I've like walked in. Walked around and walked out. <laughs> so I think I went to one, and it was probably around 2005, 2006 in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know they called it the World Tour then, but I think that's what the function of it was. <clears throat> so anyway. okay, okay, I, I'm offended. Okay. I got I got to say I'm offended. So I I went to the website for the uh, World Tour, and I'm offended. I want John's someone to hear my grievance, <laughs> and um, and I want everyone to cater to my to why I'm offended. But okay. uh, you know the Appy character. I guess we're not doing live. Yeah, we are. Oh, we are live. It's live. Oh, okay. But you know the Appy character, the little bobcat character. Uh, is it a bobcat? Okay, I sure. think it's a bobcat. I don't know, something like that. So, anyways, they got the bear, and they've got Astro. Astro's got a cowboy hat and boots, and and uh, who's who's the bear? Uh, the bear is um, Barry Cody. Cody. <laughs> He's got a hat on. That's, that's all very Texan. I'm fine with that. It's a little stereotypical. But then <laughs> then Happy's got the big Texas kind of bouffant hair with the big bangs. No one in Texas wears that style anymore. Is that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, here, it's, it's... Here. I can here, see that. see that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. At first, I thought we got a new character. I'm like, well, I don't ever see that think, character I think before. that's what people think that like Dallas women look like. Or maybe Houston women. Or was it that episode of King of the Hill where that that big rich guy came to Texas, Texas, and he wanted 
He wanted uh, Hank to wear like the big buckle and, and the hat and everything. I think it was that. Uh, yeah, something like that. So you've been offended, John. I've been offended. That's uh, okay. Well, um, anyway, what I was thinking was for this world tour in Dallas, um, for just for the uh, for the local the locals, maybe we do like a maybe we can get a drink somewhere or you know some kind of little informal meetup. Yeah, I might not be able to attend though. Yeah, are you? So you are or are not going to? the I'm not going, tour? but not? I have I have colleagues coming into town that day, oh, so I may be so, occupied. Okay, are they going to that? No. Oh, okay, just a coincidence. Yeah. It's, oh, okay. It's completely not to do with sales. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it has to do with our application, but it has nothing to do with Salesforce events. Yeah, that's what I was confused yeah. about earlier. Okay. Well, anyway, let's. So, uh, that's in a couple of weeks. So anyway, um, let's uh, let's uh, work this out in in the Slack. It's working and we'll, out. We'll figure out if anyone. I'm sure there will be people in town and what have you. All right. Well, we didn't record last week, so it's been a couple of weeks. And it's your fault. I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's been your fault on all counts. It, it has been my fault a lot. I, I do not deny that. Losing our ranking here. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm of being a weekly I'm afra- podcast. I'm afraid the checks are going to start stop coming in. I know. <laughs> and I think Jody had just finished complimenting us on on being this great weekly podcast that she could listen to, and then we go oh, gosh. on a hiatus. Yeah, it still makes me nervous when I think of people. I don't know any any of our family listening. <laughs> oh, not my family. I'm talking about uh, Jody M. Oh, that Jody. That Jody. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not my Jody. Right. The other Jody. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, how you been? I haven't seen. Uh, let's see. We haven't seen each other at all, right? Haven't talked. Not in a week. Yeah, I was. Well, just, we've we've been on calls. Uh, true. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was just in bad shape last week. Too tired. Too stressed. Uh, got sick, but I don't think it was like a pathogen, pathogenic a type of thing. thing. Yeah, I had. I think I was just. I think I just was worn down. It was weird. I had all kinds of crazy. That happens. Much better this week. Although I still just got, I got to fix this sleep thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reinitiate that uh, sleep study thing so I can figure out if I have like, like what is waking me up. I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway, got to figure that out. Sleep is important. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <clears throat> maybe you just need to wear yourself out and just sleep like a log or something. Yeah. Or maybe you got to stop sleeping on the couch. Um. It it seems seems to have no correlation. Mm. Um, well, they do say that sleeping on your side is better because if you if you're if you're prone to snoring, sleep on your back increases your chances of snoring, and thus you're not going to get good sleep. I think I snore on my back and not on my side. Yeah, so I should sleep on my side. Should yeah. should okay. And, and, then, and then there's also this whole attempt at trying to understand whether or not we should or should not be using pillows and all that kind of stuff. But the, is snoring is that is that necessarily bad for your sleep? Yeah, apparently. Apparently, really, just snoring. I mean, not apnea, just normal vanilla snoring. Well, some some would draw a correlation between snoring and apnea. Because oh, no, no, it's, no, it's no, the I, act of your airways kind of being somewhat obstructed that causes the snoring. But then, if if that's extremely obstructed, then you have the sleep apnea where uh, you actually stop breathing. Uh, yeah, but you you can you can you can be a loud snore and not actually have any apnea. Like that that's when you you you're um you actually get a full uh like vapor, vapor lock and you get negative pressure mm-hmm. inside your lungs when your body attempts to breathe in and it can't. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, it, I would, it would make sense that, you know, if you extreme, if you're an extreme snorer that it might disturb your sleep. I know that I can tell when I've been snoring because I wake up and like my, my mouth, first of all, is a freaking desert. And, and my, like my throat hurts, of course, because it's yeah. so dry. 
Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I can tell I've been snoring because yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can just imagine my mouth is like wide open and I'm like just sawing logs. <laughs> but, it, you know, anytime I snore, my, you know, and I'm in the bed, my wife always, she nudges me to turn over. Either that or she's like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't mess with her sleep. Should no, you, you don't. You don't mess with mama's sleep. Yeah, yeah. Mom, mama will not be happy the next day. That's for sure. <laughs> we do have some new. Po- we have a uh, two new reviews. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, that's. that's I was excited to awesome. talk about them yeah, last that's... week, and then you're like, "I could do it. I'm sick. I'm, I'm already in a good I'm mood weak. because of that." I'm weak. Um, all right. Well, do we now? Do we have um, what else? Do we have uh, as topic far wise? as yeah? Oh uh, well, we have that. Um, I have a topic. I have a. I have a tip for the community. Okay. <laughs> we always like your tip, John. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about Slack and their their latest application, which we, if you're in our community, you're you're likely using, and you've noticed a big boost in performance. God, I'd, I'd like to talk about all the different things about that. Can't wait to talk about that because yeah, interesting. Um, Matt Morris in the community had a had proposed some questions a couple of weeks ago, uh, although they were kind of I don't know. He, he's kind of showing that he's not really a listener because he asked about <laughs> if we had a lawn. <laughs> And if we mow it ourselves, and if anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough knows, Jeremy does mow his lawn. Or at least he did up until recently. What are you talking about? Do you listen to this podcast? You do. I haven't mowed my lawn in years. I know. <laughs> but when, is, no, it's been sooner than, than years. Uh, no, oh, it's been We used to get years. weekly updates about your, your trials and tribulations of getting your, your, your real mower uh, sharpened at... at Golf resorts yes. and I don't think you realize how many that. years that's been, John. I haven't We've mowed only been my, doing this for like four years. I haven't something. mowed my lawn in years. It's not. It can't have been that long. I I'm on my second lawn service, and I started with them two years ago. And before that, I had those guys for two or three years. It has been a very wow. long time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You're so far behind, John. You don't listen to the show. How dare you? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's let's get, let's do let's hear the reviews. I like reviews. All right, they, it helps people find us, John. It helps us our, in our rankings, and in our in our strive towards ten billion something. Ten billion something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ten billion cents. All right, this one comes from Mike Sports. Uh, it's a title. Of this is pretty interesting. A beard podcast about Salesforce. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Or, or would it be a Salesforce podcast about beer? No, we probably it's, talk about more about beer than we do about sales. It's like what? What's the difference between like with crayons, blue, green, and green, blue? The or, amount of green versus the amount of. I, I know. It's just like which is which. I can never remember. The first ingredient is always the most ingredient. I think it's the opposite. No, I think it's the modifier. So green, blue. It's like it's blue, but it's a green blue. No, see how it's all how you say it. When you read the ingredients of a product, <laughs> the the most ingredient or the highest percentage ingredient is supposed to be. But first. that's not an ingredients list. That's an adjective and a noun. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I go by my logic. Okay, someone someone set us straight here. Yeah, whatever. Beer podcast about Salesforce. Uh, I didn't need to look very far in my search for a solid Salesforce developer podcast before finding GDS Slack group is great. They put on an entertaining and knowledge filled podcast. So thank you. Who's that from? Uh, Mike Sports. Thanks, Mike. Mr. Sports. Mr. Sports. Hey, are we a developer podcast? So we, I think some weeks we are. we are. Some weeks we are. Some weeks we aren't. It's like you know, got to you tune in to find out. All right. This one's from Massouts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that first one was from the U.S. This one's from the U.K. So 
uh, enjoyable, informative, and entertaining as a subject. Uh, just listening to you guys soliciting reviews and sat <laughs> on a train coming back from London. So thought I'd let you know it's it's a must listen for me on my commute since Matt M introduced you to me. So th- oh, thanks, Matt. thanks well, for spreading the word. Yeah, uh, often makes me chuckle and good discussions in general. Although UK knowledge needs to be boosted by a trip over at some point. Thanks and keep keep it going, Martin well, in London. I would love to make a trip to the Isles. Yeah, we should. <clears throat> uh, how's we how are we doing on live feed, John? Okay. What it's worth. Okay, we're back. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, technical issues resolved. I guess. <sighs> okay, we're going live in three, two, and we're back here on the Good Dacer Show. But you didn't say two one. I know. You're supposed to do those in your head. <laughs> Use your imagination. Uh, All right, where were we? Um, we just finished a review. Who was that last review from? Uh, that was from MS Out. So, okay. but I'm assuming Martin, since he says thanks. Keep it going, Martin from London. Yeah, we will keep it going, and I do hope to get. To your uh, neck of the woods one of these days. Have one of those uh, hand-pulled pints. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right, what's next, John? Uh, let's do a tip. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I was having issues with IntelliJ uh, recently, and mainly because the latest version of IntelliJ, the 2019.2, I believe it is, which I don't know if that's – if I like that kind of versioning system, but well, the you, year can, uh, dot you should write whatever. them a letter and let them know you don't like their versioning scheme. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, would you rather rather than be have it be like a uh, spring 2019 or something like that? Oh, if we want if we want to take a tangent and talk about version numbers on, on my app, it's it's on version one three point one five three. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's looks like an internal version number in a way, but. Oh, that's, that's that's the public app ex- – well, not the app exchange, but the pu- yeah. public package. I don't – that's that 153 versions of that. I just – that's insane. It's more like builds, but yeah. Yeah, I wish there was a way for us to say a build. We could say this is version 3.2, build, whatever. I mean, I, it's all nomenclature, but I think Salesforce enforces some kind of major, minor revision-type schema in the numbering. Yeah, it's like – it's it's basically semantic versioning. So yeah. it's major, minor, and then pa- patch, patch or patch or build. I can't yeah. remember what the way – um, and yeah, Salesforce has some actual, their own kind of semantics around that. There's, like, if you want to do a push upgrade, it has to be a, like, only the last number can change, I think. And and also, you can't add, there can't be any new, which is kind of arbitrary, but there can't basically be any new metadata. You can only change existing metadata. Yeah. Which, it's a, not a good way of enforcing the fact that, like, you didn't introduce any breaking changes at all. No, no, it's not. In fact, it also kind of enforces like probably bad code and stuff because you can't refactor anything. You can't can't add a new class. I guess you can't even you can't even have a new class. You just have to you just have to add functionality to your existing classes. I think you can have new class. I can't have any new global classes or methods. Okay, that would be better. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially trying to protect the public interfaces. It's like you should also you should still be able to add global classes because that should, I don't see how that would break anything. Adding a class. Yeah. I mean, deleting one, sure, that's different. Anyway. Anyways. What are we talking about? My tip. Oh, your tip. <laughs> so anyways, I was having some issues with um, – I, I, I shouldn't say I'm having issues. I just upgraded prematurely. So I, there was a new release out. I upgraded to it and then discovered that mm. that's when they started using the Java 11. Okay. And, mm-hmm. um, of course, Illuminate Cloud wasn't yet um, compatible with that yet. With, was it – they weren't compatible with Java 11 or with uh, – with, um, IntelliJ, the new IntelliJ version. It was. It's more of a Java runtime thing. I don't wonder what I'm on. I'm gonna open up and see. 
on IntelliJ? I still have to swap back and forth between Java 8 and 11 all the time. Because I've got yeah. some projects that require 8. They can't do anything after 8. And I have some that require 11. Plus, if, if there's no hard requirement, I'd rather just be on 11 because it's, it's just newer yeah. and it's got some nicer stuff. I'm on 2019.1.3, John. Oh. But I like to... Um, Except for patches, like security patches, I actually like to lag behind. You know how I'm, I'm still on High Sierra. And I'm going to have to upgrade to the current one, but I'm going to wait until the next one comes out. What's the current one? Uh, Mojave? <laughs> <laughs> Just go to Mojave. Already. I always want to be one behind. And I, I, I can do that because I don't have any iOS projects. I was going to say, you're, you're in the Salesforce world. You don't, your operating system is independent of your, your dev builds, so you don't have to be so careful. Your operating I, I don't know. I, I just have things that I've I've had very bad luck when I upgrade really quickly to the new or the latest and greatest uh, Mac OS. Yeah, <clears throat> it'll be like well, something home something homebrew related or whatever. One of these something's not going to be patched in time, and that's just best to give things some time. Now I've gotten excessive. I probably should have upgraded to Mojave already. I, yeah. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. Maybe no, you won't. Ah, you never know. So, anyways, I, I tried that approach. I, I was on the latest version of IntelliJ. I switched back to Java eight. But the interface would hang up on me. It would it would get to just get to a point where it just eat up a bunch of memory and just lock up. Yep. Um, so I downgraded. But in the process of trying to figure out how to downgrade, um, IntelliJ or JetBrains offers this thing called Toolbox App, and I think if you're using any of their tools, you probably should get it because it mm. basically manages all your installs. You can do the updates. You can even install multiple versions, so you can have the old version and then your new version installed. It'll manage that, and you can switch between the two. So. I don't know if you, if you have one or more of these products and you're you think you might need to switch back and forth or downgrade or upgrade, it's the easiest way to do it. So that's my tip: get the toolbox app. <clears throat> it's free. I, I have a related tip, which is now, especially nowadays with Java being what is it released every six months? There's a new version. Oh, I overpoured myself. Oops. There you go. You need to. I'm ahead of you I'm, anyway. Um, try not to look at this label because I want it to be exposed. <laughs> I did not mean to pour myself so much of that. Uh, so my tip is, uh, especially since we have so many versions of Java and you, you are likely to need, concurrently need multiple versions, there's something called um, SDK Man. SDK Man? Yeah, look it up. <laughs> SDKman.io. And it's like, a, have you ever used RVM or um, GVM or any of these no, things? I'm not a Java guy. So like, for example, RVM, it's it's the Ruby, Ruby version manager. I'm trying to think what else, what other things do this, but um, what they do is it's a it's a it's a separate software tool. Wow, why is that coming through? Oh, that's the new Slack. <laughs> I'm getting noises. I don't want noises. When did I? I didn't approve noises for Slack. <laughs> oh God, how do I turn this off? How do I mute Slack, John? No noises. Notifications. Audio. Uh, how do I put on Do Not Disturb? That'd be the best thing, right? Yeah. How do you do that? Just do that. Uh, up at the top with your settings and set your status. There we go. Um, God, just open. This takes me to notifications. This is not good. No, you click on the little bell icon. Yep, and top. it just opens up notifications now. No. Pa Let me just do pause. It says pause notifications. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. So, like RVM, what it does is, you, you, if you need multiple versions of Ruby, um, you can first of all it keeps track of like the list of all available versions. Um, What's the what's the uh, node one in um, NVM? Okay. Use NVM. <laughs> um, same thing. 
because you need you might need to switch between versions pretty regularly. So that's what yeah. SDK Man does. It just and what's cool with the SDK Man is it it's got like a, it's got the Oracle builds, the Adopt Open JDK builds, like the uh, the um, the Zool builds. Like there's because there's nowadays in the Java space there's you can there's quite a few different distributions I guess of Java. Mm-hmm. There's Am- I'm, I, I've been using Amazon's the Coretto because I I use that on so much on the server side. I'm like well, I might as well use the same. Uh, JDK on on my on my machine just to minimize any potential compatibility differences there would be mm-hmm. between the two. So yeah, I've been I've been using that, but I switch between eight and eleven all the time, just using that SDK man. But yeah, so you do SDK, I think, and and in fact, it it does more than just Java. Um, I can't remember what else it does, but a lot of different things. But you do SDK Java list, and it'll like list you all the versions that are available, and it shows you which ones you have installed. And anytime you can switch to one of those, you can just say switch, and like it's just immediately like your system's using that version of Java now. Oh, cool. Um, or you can just say, oh, you know, 11.0.4 is out now. You can just say SDK man, Java, install 11.0.4. And it, it knows where to go get it, puts it on the right place on your hard drive, and then switches you to it. That's kind of nice. So, yeah. Especially since <clears throat> Oracle's now making you log in to get downloads. And so many of us just don't use Oracle's <laughs> anymore. I, I think, you know, because they Oracle has started getting more stringent on what you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. People don't like paying for stuff, so that's why now there's OpenJDK, there's Amazon's, there's and there's there's a lot of you know Azul. I mean, they so a lot of these guys have paid like really high performance or specialized JVMs that you can pay for, but they also have their open source or their free versions, I guess. So like mm-hmm. Azul's one, I was using that. Actually, I think my Java eleven may be Azul, whereas my eight is Coretto because I'm still on eight in production. Yeah, I think Android's working on a new generation of their OS that's not Java dependent. I believe. Mm-hmm. Probably. That would be big news. I think I think I read something about it, but oh, you know, it's probably it's probably not dependent on anything Oracle related anymore. Is what it is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. because they, you know, they've just doubled down. They've actually switched to their like the official language for Android now is Kotlin, which I love Kotlin. Mm. Although it's funny, I find myself now that really starting with Java eight, um, but but even like the subsequent versions since then, like through 11, have added so many language features that make Java better. I mean, there's still I still like Kotlin better overall, but Java's nice enough now, and the tooling's so damn good, that I'm just like, well, I'll just do Java, because I'd re- especially when I'm doing client work, I'd, I mean, overall, I'd, I'd rather leave the clients, unless they have Java capabilities, unless they have Kotlin programmers already, I'd rather leave them with a Java code base, because it's so easy to hire for that. Yeah. Whereas Kotlin's are going to be a smaller group. I've always kind of been hesitant of Java frameworks for that reason as well. I mean, I'd rather just do straight vanilla JavaScript if I can. You said Java, and then you said JavaScript. Oh, well, I meant JavaScript. JavaScript. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you can't. You know, you don't can't. Well, you don't want to boil the ocean either. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna write a client side application, don't <laughs> don't go raw JavaScript. <laughs> Use something. <laughs> Something popular. No, I don't mean, yeah, I don't mean like a full-fledged application. I just mean sprinkling a little JavaScript here and there, whether it's Visual Force or or in Lightning, even with Lightning, even though you do have the option now of being able to incorporate other frameworks. Sometimes, a lot of times it is overkill for what you're trying to do, but sometimes there's a bit of a crutch in some of the things it provides, state management and all that kind of stuff, the event system. It's just, sometimes it's nicer to work with, but it's, it's a bit heavier. It's a bit more meat on the bones. Uh, my last tip, I'll say this. I found an awesome theme for IntelliJ. It's produced by by JetBrains. It's called Dark Purple Theme. I recommend downloading that and installing hmm. it. It's a good dark theme, and it's got all the accents are purple. It's just one of the nicest. You, 
IDE themes I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah, check so, that out. Yeah. Yeah, it looks cool. I'm looking at looking at it on images.google.com or whatever yeah. it says. Yeah, hmm. I highly recommend it. Looks great. Now, does that piggyback on top of Darkula? Uh, no, because uh, so I think it was in the last release or the release before um, IntelliJ finally supported full theming versus oh, just color schemes. Okay. Because before, you know, they once when they released Darkula originally, it was like that that was the only way to get true dark on everything, like all the drop down menus yeah. and everything, right? Um, okay, so now but that was just more of an injected color scheme kind of thing. Um, this is actually a theme, and they've now support themes, oh, and so okay. this is their theme. Oh, that's awesome. And there's other themes out there, but this is just the best one I've seen so far. So I like it. Cool. Purple rain. All right. Well, you do. We talked about Slack just because I was having problems with it. But do we want to talk about their whole? How they rebuilt their. It's their desktop. Yeah. App, I guess. Yeah. The, the what's it called? Electron. Right. Yeah. It's all. <clears throat> it's all on Electron. All right. But so, yeah, that 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 was a welcomed thing when it when that finally released. Um, mainly because it, Slack has just always been such a dog, and now I understand why it's been such a dog. I mean, it's always been high on memory usage. It's always been slow to load my workspaces, switching between workspaces. I mean, I like it. I enjoyed it, but it was a pain to use. I'm going to do some tests here. Let's right. see. Uh... Okay, so I'm seeing very fast switching between workspaces. I don't know if that's because it preloaded or what, but I can tell you, I think I've actually had this new version for a couple of weeks now, a week or two. About a week. It's been out. And I did not, I had no idea it was, I did notice a couple of minor visual differences, but I didn't know it was the all new version. Didn't notice at all, which is awesome. Which is a testament to to their what they did, or testament they, to the fact that it wasn't needed. Is one of my point is, I mean, and I don't also like I don't. What wasn't needed? That this massive rewrite to make it more efficient or whatever. It was needed. Well, was it? I mean, yeah. if I don't notice a difference at all, was it needed? I mean, I'm sure they spent. I think you got used to to the how slow it was, and now you're, that slowness has gone away. But because you were used to it, you didn't even see it. Well, that's like if I'm used to driving a, a Pinto and then I get in a, you know, a, a nice Italian mid-engine sports car and I don't notice that it's faster? Huh? No, I'm going to notice it's faster, right? <laughs> <laughs> so once you were in a workspace, everything was fine. It was fast. It was performant. Everything you did was fine. Yeah. It was when you were switching in between workspaces. Yeah, that was... It would always take a well, while the first, to load. the first load. The first load. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then after that, you, you, you're fine. And the reason for that is they were they were essentially loading. Well, there's a couple of different things they did for performance. One of them is how they loaded data. Every time you logged into a workspace, it actually grabbed everything it could and loaded all that up yeah. up front. And so before you could even get into the workspace, that's what it was doing. You'd see the little spinner thing or whatever, little nice quote message. Yeah. And that's what it would go in and do. The other thing that it was doing was every workspace was essentially its own thread. So in Electron, you were basically running a new instance of Electron, a new process thread for every workspace. It wasn't just one application. You were technically using a, an application for each workspace. Yeah, okay. Um, so what they did is they they rewrote it using React and Redux. To what were they using their, before? I don't know. I think. Okay. It might have just been plain vagina. Uh, no, it wasn't. Might have been. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they mentioned what they were using, but they did mention that one of their goals was to use React, and then, of course, they were using Redux for all the UI elements and stuff, but... Well, so my lesson and message for everyone is, is you, too, can actually build a significant desktop app using web browser technology 
and make it somewhat efficient if you have millions and millions and millions of dollars to pay the most some of the most expensive engineers in the world. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, don't use JavaScript to build big web big desktop applications. <laughs> it's because it's JavaScript. But at Wood's Law, we're all headed to JavaScript. Is that the law? Yeah. Uh, Jeff Atwood. He, he I thought that. we're all heading towards uh, WebAssembly. Um, I think it's... We're all heading to Creepy. We all know that. Yeah, I think... yeah I, I haven't... Uh, I, I, I tangentially track WebAssembly. It's it's pretty fascinating, just from a computer yeah. side. Or, it's know. fascinating, it, it, but I'm like, <clears throat> I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> well, eventually, I mean, the, the, the cool thing is, I guess you'll be able to... Essentially write ship. binaries. Yeah, I yeah. mean, well... Yeah, I guess it's right, and you'll be able to ship. I mean, I guess when I first read about it, I was like, so would that mean if Salesforce provided support, would I be able to create a binary for my app and let them run that binary in the browser? Salesforce didn't run your binary. That's not what I meant. Salesforce will poop on your binary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out is the distribution of it, of those WebAssembly binaries. Is it all in the browser, and you're basically shipping and... And running that from the browser, is there some SaaS model here? I, I really don't know. And I don't know how, how much to ins- rationalize yeah, it. All. This is we're getting into the area of the show where we have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know if you like if you're if you're writing. Basically, you can write an app in Rust or Go or mm-hmm. C, and it runs in the browser. Now, right. are you shipping a binary to the browser? Are you shipping like an LLVM binary to the browser, or does it? Are, does it? Are you bundling it up and your source code is there, and then the browser compiles it? You know, just in time. I have no idea, but. It's basically like you can write full apps that run in, in in the browser in the full security context and sandbox of the browser. Yet you've written them in not in web technologies. You've written them in C or Java or Rust or 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 what's the Swift, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. I mean, but I think the other side of it that I want to understand is the the UI model as well. I mean, there's one thing for backend code and logic, but UI and stuff. I Right. What's the UI framework or yeah. whatever? I have no idea. I mean, the the if if we use Java as an example, the G- Java UI GUI tools suck. Unless it's gotten better. I'm not a Java guy, but it's always been one thing that's deterred me away from it. It's just it's no, the, such a crappy model. The the big problem with Java UIs is you have the typical cross, Java engineers building UIs. Well, that and then you have the cross platform aspect of it as well. You can't tailor it to the OS <laughs> or leverage native US components or anything yeah. like that. You basically yeah. have to custom draw everything. And, and also, I mean, you're you have. Probably high expectations. I think I have really high expectations because the only OS that doesn't make me want to grab the vomit bucket is 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 uh, Mac OS. Yeah, I would. I'd say Linux has some pretty good ones, like Ubuntu. I like, but there's like parts of it that just like are not polished. You know, oh there's like God, parts there's... of it that are that are nice, and on screenshots you're like, hey, that's pretty nice, right? But then you start digging into certain places, and you're like, "Oh, there's something off by that." It's like that those uncanny scre- valley of OSs. Those screenshots you see—that's that's that's their best side. They're showing you. It's like, <laughs> and then you, but you know, there's just so many of the other apps, and you you open up like the settings yeah. panel or whatever, and it's just like, and all of a sudden, like, spacing's not right. The font kerning's all messed up. Like, yeah. stuff's all jagging and not right. And I can't believe still on Windows, how much stuff is not like high DPI optimized and. <laughs> It's just, you know, even Windows I, I did like that 3D cube spinning for spaces they implemented. That was pretty fun. Well, what's cool about that is, when was that, like 2005? Yeah, that's how far back I yeah, used was it. That? Oh, I kind of can't remember what that system was called now, but it was a, like a compositing window manager. Um, oh, what was that called? Um, Barrel. Yeah, Barrel was one that I was the one that I ran. There's some other ones, but... 
Yeah, that, they're kind of ahead of their time. It's just that they don't have the design. They have, they have. I mean, obviously in the Linux world and stuff, there's there's some badass engineers. They just don't have the designers. Yeah. And, you know, there's been all the efforts to do that. And Ubuntu has had different initiatives where they've invested a lot of money. And it's this year is going to be the year of the Linux on the desktop and all that crap. And it just, it, yep. no, it's just, it's just too hard. It It literally takes a many, many multi-billion dollar company to ship an OS that people are going to want to use. There's just, just so much work behind it. Well, even then, it takes years of iteration on top of that. We can look at OS now, OS 10 now and, and talk about how nice it is. But even even the first OS 10, what was it called? Uh, like 10.1, you mean? 10.1 or oh, something like that. It was, I started on 10.4, I think. I mean, it was, it was okay. I think it was pretty rough. I didn't like the. I think at this that point it still had the bit of that bubbly oh, aqua. aqua look to it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when Aqua came in. Was it either ten point three or ten point four? I think was Aqua. Yeah. Was, I don't think ten point one was. Uh, um, ten point one was still the real. Wasn't the metallic uh, look? No, that was like nine. This, I thought. Like, I thought nine had all the metallic. The only holdover I was know. iTunes. I yeah. thought. I'm not sure, but yeah. Anyways, off off on that yeah. tangent. So back to Slack. I mean, I so we could talk about all the money in the world to be able to rewrite your code from scratch. But I like their approach. And they they should, actually, they do have some graphs on their performance metrics if you want to see what it is you, you thought you were getting and what you were seeing. That's memory usage. And yeah. I, I did notice how much memory it was using. Let me see how much my Slack is using right now. I don't ever even look at this because I don't ever have memory problems. It's, so it doesn't even show up. First world problems. In my, let's see. How do I go into the full... Uh, it, it doesn't even show up in my top no. five. I think it so. used to, though. It probably did. How do I do this? Why can't I open up the details here? Let's see. Uh, what is this? Activity manager. Okay, that'll show me, right? See, memory. Here we go. And I will sort Slack. Oh, I have Slack helper. Oh, it's split up into multiple processes. That's how they that's how they get out of the top list. <laughs> no, it's um <laughs> well first of my first of all, my biggest by far is com.docker.hyperkit, 1.93 gig. The lightweight container. It's so lightweight. <laughs> then I got Adobe Audition at one gig. Mailplane Helper, my email app, one gig. Almost one gig. Evernote, 700 meg for my text note-taking app. <laughs> They're beasts. Um, Mailplane's actual app for 400 meg, 500 meg. So mail, my mail app takes up a one and a half gig. Um, and then where did uh, Slack? Slack Helper, 448. I don't know where actual Slack is, but... Yeah, so that's presumably a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're you're seeing multiple threads because that's Redux managing all the different data stores. Your workspace still has has its own data store. It's just the UI itself, the whole application. Mm-hmm. It's not replicating for each workspace. So now you just have a single application with a single application thread. But then it's going to Redux, and Redux is managing all the the interactions with the data stores. You sound like you know what you're talking about. John. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no clue. <laughs> It, you, it sounds so simple. It's like, why did they do that? You know, yeah, two years ago. <laughs> but I've been wanting to write a, a, an Electron app, and I wa- wondered about this type of things. How do you manage that How, on, the, on the single page when you have all these different threads of, of application yeah, state and everything? How do you manage? Don't it? start making any pro- promises on apps you're going to write. Hey, we don't talk about that. <laughs> no. uh, but one thing I found interesting was their approach to it, and that was that they they coexisted with the old code and the new code, and how they kind of approached building out the new code until eventually all the old code was gone. And I find myself in a similar situation where I kind of want all the old code to go. Uh, we talked in our last conversation how I wanted my code and not my code folders. 
in DX so that I can basically just start rewriting things. But I'm also not, well, I'd like to say I'm pragmatic enough to know that just trashing the old application and starting from scratch isn't the way to go. It's just not smart. But I do need to find a, a smart way of transitioning out of where we're at today and start building on to something newer. Um, so I, I, found, I found it interesting the way they talked about how they, it's a trade-off, and I'm not sure I want to go this route. I think I'd like to just start replacing modules of functionality. So if there's a component on the screen that does a certain function, pull it out and make it its own thing in, in the new environment. Versus what they kind of did is they kind of created these interfaces between the old code and the new code. So the new code, if it needed some functionality that already existed before they had a chance to replace it with new code, they would have an interface that would allow it to call back into the old code because it was all on memory. And for the new co- for the old code, it could call the new code just fine, but still would use an interface. So there's some level of abstraction. I mm-hmm. just don't know that I want to go through the extra engineering effort of creating all these interfaces between old code and new code. But how big is your team? One. Okay. So probably not. <laughs> also, I think your main thing is you need to have an interface between your code and my code. That's true. <laughs> I just wanted to get a my code in there, John. Well, I need to replace your code too. So <laughs> probably so. It all it probably all needs to go. <laughs> Um, no, there's a lot to replace. There's a lot of utility methods. The, the, the problem is I don't have namespacing, so I can't, even though there's some things that are named properly, but they're implemented wrong, and I really just want to create a new class, but I can't because I can't name it the same thing, and I really don't want to do the route of AppUtil2 or something like yeah. that. That's just so that's crunchy, cringy. Did Slack not do basically a complete rewrite? They did, okay. but they did it They did it in phases. You you. In so they were, they were were they shipping? They the, were shipping the really? code. Okay. So it ran. We just didn't know. You just didn't know. Okay. So you had old code and new code coexisting. And anytime there was a feature that was only in the old code environment, it would reach out to that interface, and that interface would basically do some kind of toggle switching, which is also interesting. They weren't using any kind of factory methods or anything like that. This was all kind of in JavaScript. So they would essentially just kind of make a call to some method that knew how to switch. That knew basically would just toggle between the two. It wasn't like get me my, I don't know my person data layer abstraction and it yeah. would go to some factory. It didn't go through all that. Okay. It was just basically a function switch. Yeah, so they had a like a an interop or something. Uh, yeah, or like it was almost like an I don't know if it'd be like an anti-corruption layer, but some kind of abstraction layer so that yeah. they're so that all of the teams that are writing actual functionality code, feature code and stuff, like they don't have to concern themselves with which version they need to call. They just right. they let some other layer handle that. Yeah. Yeah, and that probably imposes some 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 overhead. But you know, it's a it's a, probably a small price to pay for getting that 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 type of well, like you said, when engineer. when you've got money, sure, <laughs> right? I mean, and they're you know they keep raising ridiculous amounts of money, so yeah, I'm, they're public now too, right? I think that's where they yeah, got the so, money, right? Yeah. So that was their final raise, I guess. <laughs> but and and the last part of what they did, which kind of made me really jealous, because I don't think I'll ever be able to do this with with Salesforce. Unless I create a whole new namespace, and that is, um, well, I guess I no, I can't. Um, is eventually once they got to feature parity with all the new code, they just truncated the old code, and now the new latest build has nothing but new code in right. it. It's the full rewrite. Yep. I mean, once you remove all references to old code, then the old code can be deleted. Right. And that's that's where those, that's where those interfaces really came in handy. They just chopped it off. Yep. I don't think I'll ever be able to do that with Salesforce because you have this lingering legacy, <laughs> this legacy, this technical debt. That you can never get rid of. All you can have is a bunch of stubbed out classes with with a bunch of de- deprecation at annotations, and that's it. You can't do this with Salesforce. 
And so <laughs> part of me is like, oh, what am I going to do? Because <laughs> I'm the kind of person that doesn't like things to linger. I like things to be gone. I, I delete all the time. Well, because they're mental overhead. And every time you go to do something, you have to see it and browse through it. And it shows up in search results. And when you onboard new people, they've got to be trained on what, what are the parts you kind of mess with and you don't mess with. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it takes, it slows down compiling. It slows down everything. It slows down code reviews. It's security reviews. I mean, it's just, yeah. Deleting code is one of the most gratifying things that can be done. Yeah, and I don't get to do it. <laughs> I mean, you you will. It depends on what it is. There, you know, there are certain objects that you can't mess with. There are certain classes, especially if they're uh, annotated or globalized. What do you call that? It's, it's not an annotation. Globalized. Global. When you mark it as global, it's, it's a, just a it's a visibility, visibility modifier. Yeah, yeah, there you go, modifier. Um, those ones you can't really touch. You have to deprecate those. Although. <laughs> I don't know who did this. How's your but broadcast? My first going, release. My God, oh, son of a bitch! You had you had one hello, job. Hello. Oh, it keeps coming unplugged. That's what happened. It it's, came unplugged. It's, it's a USB C. I'm telling you. Why does anyone use USB C for anything? Oh. If you sneeze, it comes unplugged. And then once it comes unplugged, it doesn't want to come back. That's what happened. Yeah. It you know, up. you have to close the app. You have to close the app. Yep. Oh, now we're gonna have. Let me see. Let's let's move on. I'm gonna start something else while you're doing it because I'm tired of pausing the show. Yeah, go for it. Um, I want to talk to you about because we were just talking about this, and I thought it'd be fun. Okay, we're back. Backlog versus ready. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> <clears throat> so I think that I don't like the term ready though. Well, what what what? Well, you have to define what does ready mean. But what does ready mean to you? Since you're um, proposing the word. Uh, ready means that the product manager has provided enough information in the story that a developer can actually take it and work on it. You're going to have a lot of things in your backlog that are not ready for anyone to work on yet. Yeah. Because the because a lot of times, John, a story in a I backlog. Looked. I didn't look. Okay. I don't know what it is. Oh. <laughs> so I didn't want you to look. It's a hot pepper. <laughs> That's what she said. I don't know why, but other than it was a hot pepper. <laughs> it tastes like a hot pepper. It does. Yeah. What is this? Well, you can look at the can now. <clears throat> Texas brewed illicit ale works. Texas proud. Cream pie, cucumber, jalapeno, huh? <laughs> Where's the cream pie? I don't know. It's a cream ale, which doesn't involve any cream, by the way. No, oh, that's a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, like a, it's like a jalapeno popper. You so, got that cream cheese and the, know, the yeah. jalapeno. Yeah. and no, There's no cream. Um, no, this guy's, he's a home brewer that I know. Yeah, he hit that spot on, man. That, those peppers are there. Yeah. I got a. I bought Did he just like take jalapenos and just juice them into it? Yeah, and he yeah. he uh, manually processes the peppers and the cucumbers. I need some tortilla chips with this thing. I know. Yeah, it's it's got some. I mean, the more you drink it, it builds a little bit. Does it? Yeah, oh. it's good. I like it. I like spicy. You like the cucumber part of? Do you like cucumbers? I do. Okay, I am I getting cucumber. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's kind of more on the. Hopefully, you won't start having uh, allergic reactions. I don't think I'm allergic to cucumbers. You don't? Okay. Now, so so yeah, so ready means that. Because you're going to have a lot of things in your backlog, a lot of stories, 
And a lot of times stories are simply placeholders. They're, they're promises to have a conversation, right? Is what a story is a lot of times. Sure. But until you have that conversation and you have a, you flesh, fleshed out the story to a minimum requirement, then uh, it's not ready for a developer to take it and work on it. And the closer these stories get to the top of your backlog, if you are grooming your backlog and prioritizing it, the more they need to be ready, right? Um, now, some of these systems, like, for example, Jira's new, uh, what's, what do they call it? The, the, um, the Next Generation Project, right? Mm -hmm. So they have your, your Kanban board, but off of the board, separate from the board, is the backlog. Right. And, of course, you can use that however you want. This is, this is Agile and whatever. You can define columns and things. And how, you can use things however you want to. But the idea there is that once it gets on the actual board, it's, it's a ready story. So don't drag it into, onto the board into the ready column until it's ready. Then the question is, well, what does ready mean? And that's, I think, every team has to define differently. But I pulled up a definition, thanks to Google here. Um, this is actually the title of this article. Is, this is actually from Mountain Goat Software. Um, that's, uh, that's Mike Cohn, actually, a guy that uh, I talk about quite a bit. Um, but the title of this is actually The Dangers of a Definition of Ready. So probably worth a read, but I'm just going to go to his sample definition of ready. So the conditions of satisfaction have been fully identified for the story. So conditions of satisfaction, just like when the story is fully implemented, um, what, what assertions can you make? What things can you say are now true or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, the story has been estimated and is under a certain size. So a lot of teams have say that, you know, no single story can be more than like five story points. If it's more than five, you got to break it into multiple stories. Um, the team's user interface designer has mocked up or even fully designed any screens affected by the story. So, because so, a lot of teams have, so it their, can't go into ready until it's been fully designed. And you, from a UI, a user, if there's a user interface for it, a lot of teams work that way. A lot of teams, and I'm not saying I'd like this necessarily, or it's good or bad, but a lot of teams, the U, the UI person or team works ahead mm -hmm. of the developers, like a week ahead. So, do they have their own Kanban? They actually might. I mean, you could you could probably make a case for that. I, the the fact that you are making things more complicated makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. But you could have multiple boards for one project. I don't like that personally. But or maybe they just work with the product owner for the stuff that's nearing the top of the backlog. And they're like, okay, hey, let's we need to like do the UI for these or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and the final one he lists here is that all external dependencies have been resolved, whether the dependency was on another team or an outside vendor, which makes great sense. You can't drag that card onto the board in, in the ready column, if it's still dependent on some information or progress from another team or a vendor or some, some other need that is not satisfiable by the, by the team. Okay. So, and that's fine. And the, the, all I'm trying to do, and I just don't, I don't want to overcomplicate things. I don't want to create a bunch of ceremony or process around a bunch of stuff. All I really want is to be able to put onto the board the things that we have planned next, the things that have been prioritized that we just say, these are the things that we feel are important for this week or for whatever, whatever the time frame is. I don't even want to use the word iteration. I just want to be able to plan the week or plan the next steps. Just plan it out and just say, okay, here's, here's what we'd like to get done. Um, right now I have the luxury of it just being me. So it's either done or it's not. A lot of it doesn't have a lot of detail. And unfortunately, I can't ask those for that detail, I basically have to look at it and derive the detail and put it into it. 
So there's a portion of it where I needed to get it ready. Mm -hmm. um, I also had the concept of just to do, because I just like the word to do. This is the things I have to do. And it's just waiting there for me to do it. And then when I want to grab it, I grab it and stick it into my in progress. And so what I thought I would do and what I did is if it came to whenever our next planning session is, if it wasn't done yet, I just put it back in the backlog. And then we went back through the backlog and figured out what our priorities were. My thought being that, sure, this was a priority. <clears throat> Obviously, it wasn't because no one screamed that it didn't get done. And other things have come in. So let's just start and reprioritize. So the, and I would say the, if you look at your backlog, the order, I mean, you can look at that backlog and I can tell you what's priority just by looking at that backlog. I should be able to. The top priority thing should be at the top of that backlog. Sure. I mean, um, we, we do, when we kind of look at the backlog, we do kind of just start bumping things up in, in order, at least the top 10 or so. But I, but I, I would push back on you on this whole, if at the end of the week, something's still in the ready and it didn't get done or didn't get dragged out of ready into another column, you're putting it back in the backlog. Because what that means is it's not, it's not ready, right? It's important to know, it's, first of all, it's important to have some cards in ready so that when someone finishes something, it's like the whole just combat thing, right? You go, you just grab the, you grab whatever's in ready from the top of the ready Mm -hmm. list. That's how you, that's just how you know what to work on next. And ready should also be generally sorted by priority, but but the key the important thing about I think having a separate ready or one of the important things, another important thing, is that as with your other columns, it shouldn't get too big. You want a whip limit on every one of those columns. And that's one thing I like about most of the software, including mm -hmm. the one you're using, is that you can set a limit. You can say, like, yeah, we should have more than three here. Well, why shouldn't you have more than three? Why what's what's wrong with having 10 or 20 in there? Well, because You've, in order to make it ready, you had to do all those things. Some you you had to talk through the UI or do some UI designs. You had to get some information from the product owner. And if you've got a long list of those things, that means that you went and worked. You were you're working working way ahead of the team. Like you're actually now you're not agile anymore. You've you've made decisions way too far in advance for some mm -hmm. of these things. You want to be making when when you're fleshing out a, a a story that's in the backlog and adding the detail to it. You want it to be something that's going to be worked on pretty soon. Because if you did that, if you had done that work four weeks earlier, you're doing it based on information. You're doing it based on information that you had four weeks ago. Whereas if you just would have done it a few days before someone actually was going to work on it, you're, you're fleshing out that story with the latest information about the product. And it's that whole avoiding waste, keeping work in process limited. It's, you know, again, this is the, what the whole Toyota story taught us in Lean, right? Was that keep those batches small. Mm-hmm. All right, then, so I think I'm on board with that. I, I think I'm back to wanting a ready bucket and using it for that purpose. I still think I want to, yeah, I don't, I don't think I need that to do anymore. I, th I think one of the things I'm, I'm tr trying to get out of men mentally is the whole task portion of it. Like, in, in the consulting world, I had a set of things to do. I had a time frame that I had to get it done in. Yeah. And I had to move things through this process. And I had, I had my buckets. I had... Stuff that was waiting for me to do it, to do it, and I had stuff that I was working on. I had stuff that was waiting on QA, and I had stuff and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And so, what I was measured on, and what I felt like, how I could kind of give someone what's going on with with my progress on on finishing this implementation is, well, here's what I have in this bucket, and here's what I have in this bucket, and here's what I have in this bucket. And so, I'm very trained on moving things through these buckets and and deriving progress by them. But when you say that we just have this ready bucket and it could be in there for a week or two weeks while, while we 
figure out, you know, what the UI is going to look like. What that's not I the ready bucket. No, that's you, once it's in ready, you should have already figured out. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. So it's in the backlog, waiting okay. for that to happen. Mm-hmm, sure. Waiting for it to be ready. Waiting right. for all that information mm-hmm. to be put into it. Mm-hmm. I feel like now there's no way for me to to show progress on something. Maybe I don't need to. But that's that's my internal. But isn't anxiety. that what the actual Kanban board is for? That's how you see you visually see progress. You see those cards moving across the board. What I what I'll see is I'll see something sit in the backlog for a week that never made it to ready because I'm still working on it. You, you're going to see your backlog is going to have stuff that is going to be there for years. The actual backlog. But once it's once it's ready, but again because this should be a pull system. Right? Sure. F- finishing a card means that you pull one from ready, means that now the ready column has one less, which probably means you should probably have your product owner or in your whatever your UI team or whoever is involved, right? Work on the getting the next thing from the backlog ready and dragging the ready column. So it's just that whole pull that's that that pull system. And and that you don't want to you don't want to get out no no step in the process should should build up too much, should get that much ahead of the team. Mm-hmm. But I don't get the whole I don't see I don't know how to see progress because that is really like the number one priority of a, something like that Kanban system is it's so visual like you can literally see the progress. Can you? So to get something ready, let's say it takes a week to get a card ready. How do you show what was done for that week? I, I, so are you saying you're not concerned with the actual building of the thing, like how it moving across the board? You're talking about backlog work. Yes. How, how do I how do I show what's what's being done in the backlog? Yeah. How do I know if I if I have a problem or not in my backlog where just nothing's getting done? So if your ready column starts to get let's say, let's say you define um, that you have a you want somewhere between three and five cards in your ready column. Mm-hmm. Okay. No more than five because that means we're getting too far ahead. No less than three because we don't want to run out of work to do. Okay. Well, there you go. If you're less than three, then you need to say hey. Product owner, let's get together because we're getting low and I don't want us to run out. I guess my challenge is on, so if you're, I'm, I'm all of the above. <laughs> kind so of. I got to no, work but the you need to, I got to so put everything, get everything assuming ready. Assuming you're working for a growing company, right? You you need to think. Well, that, you are exactly on my team right now, right? But you got to think. But I'm like, thinking in terms of I'm not the only one and I'm trying to rationalize how this works. And I, I think part of me is afraid that my backlog is just going to keep growing because I never, I never put the time into getting things ready. Mm. And so, so what I do, so let me say that another way of saying that is you're afraid your ready column is going to disappear. It's going to shrink to zero, right? It's right. Gonna, okay. And so at this point right now, we're, the state I'm in right now is I take things from the top of the top of the backlog at the beginning of the week and move it into to do so that I have something that I can start working on. And that does mean getting it ready. That does mean filling out the card with the details it needs so that I can actually do the work. Yes. And so I'm in flight doing that. So I move it into this to-do bucket and I pull it off the top of the stack and put it into my in-progress and then I start filling in details and then I start doing the work. And that's the process that I have right now. And to me, at least that's showing that I'm getting stuff out of the backlog. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's what I want to do. I kind of like what I'm hearing from you. Um, I'm just afraid that... I'm afraid that my backlog is just going to keep growing and growing and growing and oh, I'm never going to have the time to do what it I will. need to do. No, the back... That's actually the sign of a... At one sign, at one healthy sign, your backlog should be huge, but it should also be sorted. Now, that's the other thing; it's all prioritized. And and you're gonna have stuff at the bottom of your backlog that may go a year, five years, ten years, or never get addressed just because it never, it never became important enough. It never became more important than the other things that are in that backlog, and that's fine. That's totally fine and normal. I mean, look at 
look at any big software project or talk to people who have worked on really like, for example, like, I don't know, like Microsoft Excel or something. They've got bugs from like the 80s or 90s in their system that are never, just never going to get addressed. They're documented. They know about them. They're just, they're either such an edge case or whatever, or it's so minor. It just, it doesn't have a enough of an impact that it never justifies having engineers work on it. And there's some that are, that are, that's probably an extreme case. And there's some that are that are moderate. They might they might float up a little bit high at some point, but then that you might see them f- a certain one. You know, it might see it float back down mm-hmm. the backlog because more important, more higher priority stuff comes in. We think of new ideas, new features, or whatever, or new important bugs come in, and it pushes other stuff down. Stuff's going to float up and down. You're always going to have a huge backlog, but it's the product manager's job to keep that thing groomed, which means prioritized. And and the, really, the health of the team in terms of the, the the development team versus the product owner is if you're ready. That's why one reason why that ready column is important. That ready column starts to get to where there's not enough cards in it. There's not enough slack. You need some slack, right? That's mm-hmm. Lean's like Lean is not going to tell you like don't have any slack. I mean, the real reason the Kanban's there is if you have a board is because it represents a little bit of slack, but you still want a pull system. So when someone finishes something, you want to see them grab that, you know, a card from five, you know, if it's got five in the ready stack, and that's going to shrink ready down to four now. But that's kind of a signal to the backlog that, okay, we've, we've actually got room now for another. And maybe, you know, product owner doesn't jump on it immediately, but if it gets down to three or two, okay, yeah, product manager, hello. <laughs> you can see your job, it's your job to look at this board too. Again, don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah, I don't want 50 cards in there because you are flushing out cards that you don't even, it's going to change 10 times before we get there. That's why it's important to have a max on that column as well. Agreed. Okay. And it's interesting. I mean, every team goes through this process of figuring out how they want to work. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing a lot of that, just trying to. I mean, there are things I've done in the past, and I feel like I could lean on that, but I feel like there's an opportunity here to kind of just grow a bit and improve on what I'm doing. And and especially since it's two different worlds. I mean, the, the world I've been in for so long has just been these these the implementation projects, and they're very yep. different from, yeah. from, say, a software project. Yep. And I'm struggling a little bit in just trying to make sure that I'm not trying to run it like an implementation project where, right. I have, where I have this set budget, this set timeline, this set time of things. I mean, this is... This is a software product that's going to be maintained and grown over time. It's not like in a month I move on to another and, project. And I, I love it. I love that you can sink your teeth into this and that it's long term, and you can actually think about um, how do we run this thing in a way that is it, it's not short term thinking; it's long term thinking. You know, and and the fact that and just that you you're going to have such a dynamic backlog. I mean. The things that are in that backlog, the things that aren't in it, the things that are at the top, the things that float down to the middle and then back up and all that stuff. It's, you know, it's just over time. If you could see like a time lapse of the backlog, that would be just just the idea of visualizing that is, is really cool. Um, but knowing that like, yeah, you, I mean, you really want to put in processes in place that are, and I always think it's like, you, you want just enough process. And if you have a good team, you don't need that much process, right? Because people are just like smart and they do the right thing. You want just enough process, just enough tools, just enough meetings, just enough documentation, and then just let smart people do their job. Yeah. So what do you think about um, – so we talked about stories. We talked about the backlog. Um, 
probably one thing I'm going to start getting into is probably some epics just because I have some pretty big initiatives that I want to put in place and I do want to track them against an epic. But I also have all these little tasks that need to get done. They're not necessarily related to the, they are related to the product, but they're not related to a deliverable or, or resulting in a release. It's like, I don't know, research why this weird thing happened. I don't know what why it happened. It's not it's not technically a bug yet. It's just something we noticed, and I it, put it, it on is the it board. About as, the product, like the functionality of the product. Maybe. I mean, it could just be <laughs> doing something weird, and no one knows how it works. I mean, if it's like if it's like I don't know, design and you know, design a new brochure for the product or something. That probably no, doesn't no, no, go into the product. No, not like that. Just like I don't know. There's this chart, and it's got a number, and no one knows where it came from. And so I I stuck it on my board as a task, something I was working in progress. But at the end of it, it didn't result in a release or anything. So I don't know what to do with it. It's just um, sitting there in my complete bucket. So, I, you know, just because a card makes it all the way across the board doesn't necessarily mean that it actually impacted the code base, I don't think. Yeah, it's just the terminology that I have in place yeah. right now for my bucket. So I have to-do slash ready, which I'm going to change back to ready. I have my in-progress, okay. I have my QA, but then I've got completed and release. And I, I have, I kind of toyed with completed being packaging or whatever, but I just need a way to kind of hold something until I say it's released. And then I got to define what released is. But right now... It's a whole other thing. We'll have to talk about that in the next <laughs> week. Right. But... But right now, the way I did it this last release was once I actually had a a uh, what are the uh, a, a managed release, a managed package. Mm-hmm. That's when I moved everything from that completed into okay. the release bucket. Yep. But my little task of me doing that research is now incomplete, and it's just sitting there, and I don't know what to do with it. So you know that um, the way that way Jira Next Gen works, and when you move something to your last column, and the by, the by default I think it's two weeks. After two weeks, if, if sitting in that column. It just disappears off the, off the list, which is a perfect fit. I love that functionality. It's perfect for the continuous Kanban style of development. Yeah, You don't really have big monthly or quarterly releases where you would actually take everything in your completed column and like tag it to a release, and it all at once just goes away. Like It's a continuous. They're, these are ephemeral. And I, can just, I can just visualize the bottom of that completed just kind of like slowly things just falling off of it. They're yeah. still there. You can still you can still yeah. go find them, you know. But they they get off your they just fall off your board after, over time. Which I like. Yeah, I do too. I like things to disappear after. It's, a while. it's, it's I do it, kind of want it there because I want it just just enough time for me to just make sure everything's okay. Yeah. So we can at any time we can see the health of the of the project of the right. board. But yeah, it's, it's a, that's a really cool feature they have. But that's only the last column. So, so <laughs> whatever the last column is, it doesn't even matter what you call it. You can't check a checkbox for it anyway. It's the last column. So I think I'm going to rename that last column. Okay. Because <laughs> you completed and have an interim for packaging or something like, like yeah. that. Yeah, you might need another column. Um, but I, again, I don't want to turn this into a task manager tool, task manager tool. Oh. But I do, I do want to be able to track certain things and be able to kind of show what I'm working on. I, I actually wanted to go back to your, like, this chart has a number and no one knows what it does. I think that should go in, in the, actually in the backlog. Because that's going to take, because right now you're a one-man team, but imagine, it doesn't matter whether you're a one-man team or a, or a one-person or a ten-person team, right? Um, that's going to take resources. That's going to take mm-hmm. someone's time, which is probably an expensive person, right? And you got to justify to your, to your to your board and your shareholders, like a shareholder. I mean, for any point in time, like why people are spending time on what they're spending time on. Yeah. And I think it should go into the backlog so that the product owner, who's ultimately responsible financially for that product and the, for the success of that product and the P&L of the product, they should be able to say, mm, these other things are higher priority. That I don't care about that number right now. We'll maybe work. I'm going to move it down a little bit, and we'll work on it later if I and if we have time or whatever. If we get this other stuff done, maybe I'll move it back up. That shouldn't be your decision. Mm-hmm. As I'm pointing to a, assuming that you are just like a let's say the lead engineer, right? Mm-hmm. 
It shouldn't be your decision. That's a product manager decision. You shouldn't, that's, you know, I'll say you, I mean, just again, metaphorically, like you don't get paid enough to make that decision. That's not your decision to make. Let someone else decide wh- if that's important enough. Because you got other stuff to do. You got a board that has stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and because there's a consequence of you looking into that. It's going to take your time. It could be 10 minutes. It could be three hours or, or a day. I mean, it could be turned into a, you know, you start pulling a thread. Next thing you know, it's like it just keeps coming. It's like, I, God, I keep digging and digging and digging, and I can't find out where this is coming from. I mean, it's like that shouldn't have been your decision to dis- to spend time on that. That maybe that wasn't important. And that's a product. And I know you, and whether you, because a lot of teams, like, you know, actually will have a product manager. Sometimes a product, it's a product manager by committee. There's like a few people that get together once a week and they're kind of the product manager. But whoever it is, that person or team that represents the product management, the product owner, Mm-hmm. Should make that decision. That should you shouldn't have to do that. And of course, there's. It's. I'm not saying that you can't ever like spend five minutes and like go look into something that you saw. No, nothing's that's, ever that's, five minutes. I know, but but <laughs> some, some things are though. And if they are, then that's fine. I'm talking about things that it's you know like you don't know the answer, and it might it might be a you know a non trivial amount of time. So it just needs to go in the backlog, and then you then you let the product owner make the decision on how important this is. Well, I want to be the one to make that decision. So, <laughs> if if you if you are the one setting the priority for every for the product for the product, then yeah, that that then you're the product owner too. Though you're saying that you're the product owner. Yeah, well, I'll have to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the truth is, of course, in most as in with most companies and teams, it's it's complicated. Well, it's, it, right? it's the same <laughs> situation I run into with with even even with consulting is is an issue comes up, some bug or something, and everyone's scrambling to try to get it done as fast as they can, either. A, before the client notices or the client's noticed and they're putting pressure on and everyone's just scrambling to try to get this done. And that's been the mode I've been in for yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. Some issue happens. I got to drop everything, figure it out, fix it, get it out the door, and then get back to my other stuff. You know, and and what I try to do in those situations is when something comes up, because what happened is, you know, a bug will come in and maybe that the whoever whatever customer reported, their salesperson thinks it's the most important thing in the world mm-hmm. and the world's on fire. And I need you to do this now. And the truth probably is that that's really not the case. And it really should go through the product owner, should go through his that normal process, and they should decide, oh yeah, that is actually a super critical security bug. That takes over everything. That's like, the, that's a, it's a stop work. Everyone stop, we're working on this. But maybe it's like, actually, no, that's not a big deal. I get it. Like, they get an error message if you click this one button on this one screen, not the end of the world, let me prioritize it and we'll we'll get we'll link your customer's issue your their their jira customer service issue we'll link it to the thing we create and so that when when we complete it or when we have a resolution or just you know whatever they can be notified if you don't have a process like that for for like triage and incoming things then yeah everything whatever the latest thing is is hair on fire yeah that's something I've and been wanting to address. You fall into that trap, and the, what happens is you don't end up getting shit done ever. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of seeing that happen a little bit, so I know I need to kind of put some thought behind how we triage things in that fashion, and I do think that it should have gone on the backlog, and I do think someone should have made the call of whether or not it was priority or not. Yeah, because then they that the product owner has to see that they are deprioritizing by having you work on that, they're deprioritizing every, all these other things, which they also care about a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not it's not cost free to to yeah. to take people off what they were working on and have them work on your latest thing. 
And what happened end up happening? You just won't get anything done. Yeah. Nothing gets finished. You'll end up with a thousand little things work in process and nothing gets shipped. Yep. And you have probably have like 1,800 different branches of various bug fixes. You'll never be able to merge back together. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did. I am going to. I had. I don't know why am I stuttering. I think I'm tired. It's the beers. It's the. It's the. Yes. It's the. Uh, the tiredness. I, I, I am subscribed to the GitFlow model. So I'm, I am using GitFlow. I think it's a pretty good model. You know, when GitFlow, GitFlow is, has stood the test of time, I've been using it, I feel like, for many years now, um, at least five years. I don't know when they when that first came out. There was some company that, you know, wrote a blog post, and they called it GitFlow. They're like, hey, here's how we're doing it. Um, you know, people are doing different variations on it, but, uh, you know, basically, it's, it's the model is like, uh, masters what's in production. Mm-hmm. You have a dev branch. Yep. When you start a release, now... GitFlow is very iteration based. When you start a when you start the release process for your for an iteration, you branch off a of dev, you make a QA branch for that or the release branch for that release. Mm-hmm. It goes into QA, you do any bug fixes on that on that QA branch and eventually you merge that QA branch into production. Right. That release branch. Well, you you merge and then it you into can, both dev you, and master. Exactly, you can merge those back into dev. Um but the my preferred method, because I prefer more continuous Kanban, like continuous releases, is that there's really no release branch. Um, everyone commits to dev, and just when you do a release, which hopefully is really regularly, you just merge that into master. Um, you can always roll back if you really have to. I prefer rolling forwards, you know. Yeah, I kind of I kind of thought of that as well. I, th- I think given the state that the code is in right now, it's really hard for me to to subscribe to that. I really think I do need to branch off the original tag for that release, build off that, then release that and merge it back into the other two environments because it's just, the code is not in a way that's easily maintainable, easy to scale or anything like that. So any change I make is a band-aid and any new stuff I'm doing is more of a rewrite. And so trying to combine those two worlds into some kind of continuous process at this point is really that's hard difficult. Because you have to, uh, so if you're going to do a continuous, I mean, of course, part of the f- things, one of the things that makes that possible, or there's many engineering techniques required, but one of them is like feature flags, for example. Yeah. If you're going to be releasing regularly, that means, because again, feature branches are kind of a no-no nowadays, which I pretty much subscribe to, um, long-running branches. Um, so you're regularly... Well, except your dev branch. <laughs> no, your, your dev branch, you're regularly committing into, emerging into master. It's going to production, but for any features, which means that your features, while they're not even ready, well, you know, they merge in. But in the flow but, world, you're only, you're only merging in your release branch into both branches. Dev never gets merged so, into, into So, so that's what I'm talking about is the, the difference with my modified version okay. of GitFlow is that I'm really not doing release branches, at least on, on, on prod, again, this a theoretical project where you're doing a more continuous flow. Really not use release branches, just merging into master and deploying to production. Features that are under development, like say there's a feature that takes you a couple weeks to build, but Mm -hmm. you're releasing every day. Your code's getting released into, basically into into production on a regular basis, but it's feature flagged. No one can see it. No one can see the feature. Yeah. And so that's part of that. I mean, there's a lot of techniques that make that possible, but that's one of them. That and also just like DevOps deployment things like canary deployments or blue-green deployments. I mean, you can, that's what, that's why you don't really have to roll back necessarily. You know, if you feel like on a, like on a canary deployment, you know, you, 
you know, like let's say you got a load balancer and you've got like 10 instances behind it. You know, you put your new bill on one of the instances and you and you just look at your you monitor for a minute mm-hmm. and you see what happens. <clears throat> you get in a yeah. lot of you get in a lot of 500s or some other errors or whatever. If the health's good, then you roll it out to three more. Well, you can't do that. With those no, ones. I, I know. <laughs> uh, and that's that's kind of the problem. Well, you it's can't not really do the this with Salesforce. It's where some creative, uh, critical thinking happens in the Salesforce world. Is you have all these great principles and and, and patterns and methodologies on on software development in general, and then you go, how do I apply that to Salesforce? Yeah. I'm I'm doing a lot of. I do a lot of not non uh, not on the self on the Salesforce platform development, so that's where I'm doing some of these things. Yeah, um, yeah. In the Salesforce world, it's, it's more it's different. You have to you really have to think about a deployment before you before you push that button because if a deployment, especially on these really big orgs, I mean, a deployment can take hours to get through, which yeah. means that if it gets into production, then you realize because that's because there's no there's no true notion of like an act of like a blessed build in the Salesforce world. Um, the, the only real test is putting it in production. And then you find out whether you've broken something or not. And if you have broken something, well, what happens if a build takes three hours to get in production? Now you now you get a minimum. You got minimum three hours before you can actually have a fix to that. Because yeah. even if you have a fix right now, it's going to take you three hours to put this build in. Yeah. Because your unit tests take, because it takes 30 minutes to push all the metadata in, then unit tests take another two and a half hours because tests run so slow for some reason. I don't understand. Yeah. So luckily, right now, I mean, I I really dis, I really do not like working in really large orgs. I prefer smaller orgs. Just I'm just like I don't know. Let me work on smaller clients now because the really big ones. It's just the it's just it's just difficult and and not difficult in like a fun difficult way. Like oh, these are let's go f- solve these fun problems. These are not fun problems. These are this like it's not essential complexity that you're solving. It's it's accidental complexity. It's stuff that and it's also intractable problems. I don't care if you go use blue canvas or any of these other things. Mm-hmm. They are fundamentally dealing with the same problems. Now, they may have some nice sugar on top that automates some of those problems or gives you nice UIs to them, or maybe they tie into your Git and they let you mer- move a branch into production or whatever. Okay, and that's that's helpful. I mean, but it's really, it's not solving those fundamental platform problems. They, they can't. They're yeah. They're using the same APIs that I am. Yep. <laughs> they just have a nice, you know, they might have some nice UI and workflow and maybe even some governance and stuff like that. And, and that's a nice value add, but it's not going to solve those other problems. Right. Yeah. Fun stuff, John. Fun stuff. This is the, this is the, this is the career we've chosen. <laughs> um, I just want to get to the point where I'm writing fun stuff. I know. <clears throat> right Actually, now. Um, well, I mean, I, I do have a lot of opportunity to write some fun stuff. I just, it's I get really distracted by a lot of the the debugs and, and issues that come up because I don't know this product at all. That is frustrating. That's difficult. So every little request of how does this work or what happens if we do this, I have to go and pull a thread, and either <laughs> <laughs> that thread does not yes. come out clean. And the, the answer is the initial answer is well, how bad do you want to know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've already started saying, um, yeah, that's going to take a while. Right. I mean, because. I know I'm going to pull that thread and I'm going to, I'm going to find a rat's nest and I'm going to have to untangle it and figure it out. And I'll, I'll find some branching logic that does something completely different than what the normal flow does. And it'll take me, which it did today. I found exact, that exact scenario, normal conditions results return one way under a certain condition. It goes down this separate branch. And within that branch, there's another filter on some data set. And that's where I found the answer of why the data was inconsistent. Mm -hmm. But it took me 
three hours to get there? Yeah. Oh, I can. Yeah. Don't. And I felt. Don't doubt that I, at, at And all. I was feeling dumb the whole time. I'm like, what am I missing here? What am I not reading? What am I not seeing? What method? I'm I'm combing through all the 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 event systems that are or the um the lightning actions that are getting called to back end controller methods, trying to find all of those. Well, they didn't name things very well, not Salesforce, but the develop yeah. the original developers. So things are named a lot of the same things. So they're I don't misleading. Know. They they they're lying to you. They're lying to me. Yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking at one method call, but that was actually not the call I was supposed to be looking at. It's this other one. And so I finally found that one. And then I found that branching logic. And yeah. I'm thankful at least these tools are there. They're not perfect. The lightning inspector is not perfect. The lightning invent inspector is not <laughs> perfect at all. They're horrible. But it's hey, but something. you can right click on it and actually be able to copy and paste that yeah, you so, taught me last time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's something. Yeah. Um, especially, especially when it's a managed package and I need to see what the results came back in. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel like freaking enabling my login access going through my org, logging in through there, jumping in, starting a, a trace, doing all that. And just like, I just want to see what came back. Did yeah. The data came back that I that I need to see. And I did. I saw the data was truncated right. to a certain point. So I at least knew mm. I don't have to worry about the UI part. It's back in the code. Yeah. I can look there. Yeah. I can narrow down my search. Well, John, I have, um, we, we, I need to do my, my now, since we're, yeah, how, what are we at here? We're at uh, our, over Hour and twenty minutes. I wouldn't know. Hour and thirty minutes. Um, my live feed says thirty-five minutes. Real quick, uh, we just we had an update in the cloud wars, um, just based on some results that have been released. So, quick update: AWS. This is like public, you know, IaaS stuff. Uh, AWS thirty billion dollar annual run rate. Hmm. Um, and I want you to guess on the remaining two. Thirty billion, huh? The remaining, the remaining two, the other two big ones, and I'm gonna, I'll just say in, in alphabetical order: Azure and Google. What do you think? So, if AWS is at 30 billion, where do you think Azure and Google are? <clears throat> this is annual. Well, Azure's runway. second and Google's third. Okay, so you're, I'm gonna say Azure is about. Let's say they're about t- a little over 20 billion. So AWS 30. You think Azure 20? A little yeah. over 20. I'd Google. say Google's probably 10. Okay, closer on Google. So Azure is actually at 11 right now. Really? And Google is eight. Wow. I thought I thought Azure was further along, but mainly because they have such they have they have those entrenched contracts with with a ton of MCSE certified people. Oh, Microsoft, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Microsoft. I mean, their their growth rate is currently higher than AWS. Yeah. They're really growing. Yeah, Microsoft did a really good job of Ooh, really. That? Yeah, that's good. Double. Really establishing their place in this whatever, you know, in this, John, in this fourth industrial revolution that we're in now. Intergalactic planetary. You're totally ignoring me. John's ignoring me. Intergalactic planetary. Yeah, Microsoft went from being just so dominant, dominantly or whatever, completely reliable on, on OS and office sales to now they're just like, they're a majorly legit player in this in this new world. Really. Yeah, they completely did a 180 on their OS because, I mean, it's basically free. Is it? Yeah. Are, they do, are they doing that thing now? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you you pay for the license when you buy it. If you want a new install of Windows, you're mm-hmm. still buying it. It's not okay. like you can download it for free. But once you have that license, the updates are free. Okay. So, so they're the, constantly getting updated. So we had some some big Salesforce news, which I'll just, I guess, mention briefly. We don't really have time to get into it. But, you know, um, mm-hmm. did you see that Salesforce has signed a big deal with Alibaba? I did. I was wondering if we were going to talk about that. 
it's odd because it it seems like Salesforce is out of the equation completely when it comes to China. It's hands off. Uh, Alibaba has it all. I, they're probably hosting all the data centers and everything. No, it's super tricky to do business in China. And although I'm sure I'm sure Salesforce has customers in China, I don't think they have. I don't Salesforce. I don't think they have a real presence in China. I mean, I don't think they have offices there that I know of. Maybe they do. I don't think they have any data centers in China because I mean, it's it's the communist Chinese government. This is very difficult. You know, do you think it's completely new business model where Salesforce is licensing the technology to Alibaba? This this is this is interesting. It, it sounds weird for me to say Alibaba. I feel like I'm trying to say Aladdin or something. I know. Alibaba. Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, there, it's, it's a bit of a reciprocal deal Salesforce signed with Alibaba. So basically, Salesforce is saying Alibaba is the, you are the, yeah. like, it's like they're the, the only, the, the blessed and exclusive consultant and seller of Salesforce in China. Right. Not only that, it sounds like Salesforce is going to probably try to run, have, have a data, have Alibaba run a data center, have Salesforce running in China. Because I think China has a lot of the, um, it's like the data locality, what are the, whatever yeah. that term is called. Um, not provenance, that's something different. But Region data residency or something like that. Right it's like basically like, if you, you know, you have to, your data has to be in this country. Yeah. And of course, it's, this is not just like Villanelle EU stuff. This is like China, we will like chop your hands off if you break, even if you break the law or whatever. <laughs> so it's, it's quite serious there. So Salesforce saying, okay, Alibaba, you can do all that. Um, and then in re- in in return, Salesforce will use Alibaba for all their data center. Th- I think that's what it is. Like Alibaba, it gets to sell, sell Salesforce to everyone in China, but Salesforce will use Alibaba for all of their data center needs. They'll be the, okay. the cloud provider. Uh, so Alibaba is a cloud provider, and they're like in China. They have you know seventy percent of the market because AWS, I believe, is in China, and I think GCP is in China and or, or Azure. They mm-hmm. actually have physical data centers. Uh, Alibaba is the runaway leader, though. In, in China, as far as cloud infrastructure services. Mm-hmm. So Salesforce will use them exclusively. That's interesting. Um, we'll see how that works out. Yeah. And I, I wrote down some of my thoughts on this, which were that, and I have a bunch of quotes, but I'll just skip those. So my thoughts are, you know, Salesforce has said they wanted to hit $28, some, $28 billion by 2023. 28? 28, be, $28 billion by 2023. So they want to double. They basically want to double... Between now and 2023. It's always been round numbers. Why is it 38 or 28? Just because that's what Mark Hawkins told him to say. <laughs> or, or Benioff said, I want to say 28. Mark, you figure out how we get there. Mark and Keith, Mark and Keith, go figure out how to make this true. Because this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> or they're hedging. They really want to be at 30. They're going to say 28. So then when they get, when they oh, hit sure. 30. sure. Sandbag, yeah. 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 <laughs> you beat and raise, right? Yeah, beat and raise. <laughs> um, but Salesforce says, you know, they've had slightly slowing growth. Um, they've expanded internationally quite a bit. I think Keith Block has been instrumental in that. I think he's, he's that's been uh, as a somewhat direct result of his initiatives. But, this, but Salesforce still, again, as far as I know, I could be wrong, someone correct me, I don't think they have any presence in China. And China is a, of course, as we know, huge market, you know, this kind of Chinese awakening that's been happening. Um, they're liberalizing a lot of their just uh, human rights and their policy. Actually, just for the shits and giggles, I looked up LGBT rights in China before we, as prepping for this show. Turns out they've, you know, LGBT has gone from something that's illegal to something that's now legal, but you can't get married. And so it's, but it's it's on track. They're just like, China's like 10 years behind us in every way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
including their sophistication and adoption of technology, but it's they're closing the gap. And I think it's odd because don't they build our, our technology? They they steal it and then sell it back to us. But yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Um, but you know, China typically does lag behind in in technology. But I, you know, I think these, I think Chinese companies, especially because they're the government is loosening the reins some, they're they're getting more sophisticated. Um, and this is just a way for Salesforce to get some organic growth because the a lot of the growth they've had again, growth has been Salesforce growth has been slowing a little bit, not much, but enough that's like eh, slowing a little bit. We need you not to slow. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they've made that up with some acquisitions. Right? Mm-hmm. So they've been buying a lot of revenue and paying dearly for it. And that's helped keep the numbers up. But this is a way, uh, uh, kind of an untapped market, right, to get organic growth. I mean, actual yeah. growing because you're actually getting paying customers for net new Salesforce customers. That's the best kind of growth. Um, and I just think that's going to be good for their investor relations because I think investors are getting a little tired of it paying so dearly for some of these acquisitions and some of that 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 growth. And you got to pay down that goodwill. You know, I haven't seen them write down any goodwill, although I don't, I haven't paid that much attention to it, but I, I don't think they've written down any good, because when you write down goodwill, that, that is, comes right out of earnings. Well, I'm just saying, you got to have more earnings to pay that down. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Anyway, so that'll be interesting to watch that. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's good. I didn't really, China's such a tricky thing. You know, it's uh, everyone wants a piece of it and wants to get in on that action because it's. I'm curious how how well adept their system is at the the multilingual. Is it right? They're not a right to left. They're um, more up and down, right? It's still right to left. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much. Because you have, but I, I feel like I feel like the Chinese characters have this solve thing because you know you always have like simplified Chinese and traditional Chinese and. Mm. I'm sure, it's such a I'm sure Salesforce can handle that. It's just such a different just world to me that I just I mean it's not like it's not like Spanish where it's kind of like the same yeah. same lettering. Yeah, it's, a, it's just it's organized differently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> any yeah. any romance languages, you know, you yeah. can you can look at you can look at it and read at least about half of it usually. Yeah. <laughs> but this it's like yeah, it's just yeah, I don't understand it. So um other news, uh, let's I'm just going to officially go into my stuff we didn't get to that we probably never will. Uh, Microsoft invest is investing. It's in the backlog. It's, it's in our <laughs> backlog, which we, which, which as we discussed, may never see the light of day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Microsoft invested a billion dollars, or they are investing a billion dollars in open AI. Um, and the other big thing I think just uh, r- relevant to this community is um, this serious Maven's Mate bug, and the original, you know, author of Maven's Mate saying, "Yeah, quit using Maven's Mate. You've got to quit using it." It's been years. Since they closed that project. Because of this, it's it's got some, you know, I guess bad uh, security bug. It's not going to get fixed, so stop using it. And his specific suggestion was, you know, if you it, basically knowing, you know, use Salesforce's official thing for now. If that's if you don't know any, if you're still using Maven's Mate and you don't know what you want to do, use the VS Code plugin or whatever. Of course, I, I that's like, going to be a hard sell. So Eclipse was a why bit, is that a hard sell? It's free. It's not a matter of free. I, I th- here's what I think Maven's Mate did because it was. Very simple to e- and easy to use. It had a little UI for deployments that made it really easy to select what you wanted to deploy. Visual Studio Code doesn't give you that. You have to use DX pretty much. Command line terminal stuff, which is which is daunting for some people. The Eclipse version, I know it's not supported anymore, but the Eclipse version was just a beast. It was a huge application. You had to kind of know what you were doing when you installed well, that's, it. No one's like, suggesting Eclipse anymore. So. No, I'm just saying. Okay. 
that's the reason people were using Maven's Mate. I, I never. I just think Maven's Mate was easy to use. It was easy to pick not up. Not for me. Maven's Mate was always difficult for me. Was it? Uh, yeah, there was just so many weird things about it. Like you had to have all your projects in the same folder. Most people. Okay, uh, so, so you got like to understand. You know, you're, you're, stuff you're, the, in. you're the one percent of developers who. I guess. Have, so. I mean, there are other people who just wanted to be able to load their pro their their current instance in. That maybe they're just they know how to write a trigger and that's about it. And they had this really simple tool that lets them write the code, copy and paste it in from from wherever they found it online, and use the tool to to deploy it. Yeah, that's what they want. Yeah, I think the closest thing they have to that ease and that that much is probably like Illuminate Cloud, obviously. Maybe the brain engine one I think is pretty simple. The not, it's not brain engine. That. Um Welkin Suite, sorry. Okay. Welkin Suite. Uh, isn't that kind of on hiatus now? Is it? Is it Welkins or what's the what's the other one? There's Welkins. Um, there's one other one that's I don't know, even know. I don't know. So I think those two are pretty accessible. The Visual Studio one I think is accessible, but you kind of have to be comfortable with the terminal, I think, for for a lot of things. I haven't used it yet. I haven't either. I've, I've actually don't think I've ever used Visual Studio Code. I still I'm I've a, used Visual Studio Code. No, I'm just a. I, I mean, like basically, I use IntelliJ for lots of stuff, including I do a lot of Java work, and then I use it from I use Illuminated the Illuminated Cloud plugin for Salesforce work because it just plugs right into. I mean, if you've used IntelliJ at all and you've, you're used to how it works and the key bindings, Illuminated Cloud plugs right into that. Does about as nice of a job as you could possibly expect. Uh, given that, and we're, again, everyone's dealing with the same underlying platform challenges. Um, I but but I still have, of course, I still use text editing, and I'm in, and I'm either using Vim if I'm in a terminal, or I use Sublime a lot still because it's so freaking powerful, and also it's still the like the fastest thing. It's still much faster than Visual Studio Code. Um, and I just, there's so many advanced things I can do with it very fast that I'll even like, I'll copy and paste out of IntelliJ into Sublime some blob of text I need to do some kind of like crazy um, processing on or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. Sublimes, mm -hmm. I mean, you could, I mean, the, it's, it's text selection craziness and like, it's just, there's so many, I mean, I could, I could show you like just things that like would probably blow your mind. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it does that. You know, I use Adam. That even, Adam. that even IntelliJ can't do. Adam, well, yeah. So Adam stole a lot of its kind of text editing features from Sublime, I think. But but I like Adam. Okay. And yeah. Adam is based on the same thing that Visual Studio Code is, which is all... Uh, it's all Electron. It's, yeah, it is Electron-based. Did, didn't electron. electron came out of Adam, right? Yeah. So okay. Adam, Yeah, I was trying to figure out how that worked. It was, yeah. So Adam, Electron so the, came out of Adam. They extracted Adam, Electron yeah. from Adam in a way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Adam's the core or something, and then you have Electron as as this kind of environment, and then Visual Studio Code is based on all that technology. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I hear good things about VS Code. I, you know, I'm sure it's a good editor. I mean, it's apparently it's even approaching like in some cases. Well, I think, it's almost I like think an without IE. Visual Studio Code, those that tooling would not be as far as long as it is because I think Microsoft really pushed that thing. Oh yeah, no, there's they pushed it forward hard. And didn't they didn't didn't Microsoft as as a part of the VS Code project? Didn't they invent the um, What's the language server? Um, what's the language server architecture? What is it? LSA or something? Oh, I don't know. Oh, someone will correct me. But there's a, it's the it's the interface between. So if you want to write a plugin for like your a text editor to a language, you mm. what is it called? The language um, language server something. God, I can't remember. But anyway, it's it's like this new. It's like this just great way to like if you want if you 
invented some new programming language and you want great VS Code support, you just implement this like language server API thing. And that's your plug into VS Code. And it just turns out it's it turns out to be like a really good kind of abstraction slash interface between mm. a text editor that has all kinds of auto completion and you know all that stuff and a, and a and a language. It's hmm. pretty cool. Yep. All right. Well, John, so what's, what else is on the backlog? That's uh, so that's all I want to. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I let, let's just also say that um, Salesforce has been has been. Uh, where is this? Darn it! Hang on. <laughs> These things crack me up. Here we go. Salesforce, uh, the global leader in CRM, today announced that Salesforce has been positioned by Gartner as a leader in its 2019 Magic Quadrant for, drumroll, multi-experience development platforms. Multi-experience development. (laughs) Here's the quote from Sarah Franklin, a common uh, speaker at uh, these events that we go to sometimes. The fourth industrial revolution demands every company meet their customers and employees wherever they may roam. You roam, John? Salesforce is an industry leader in delivering the tools necessary to build multi-experience, which is one word, apps with clicks or code. M-dash, empowering brands to be more engaged with their customers and employees to be more productive. Can I tell you, I hate that word, empowering. And here's what Gartner says. You know, that, yeah. was Sarah, that was uh, Sarah Franklin's take on it. Here's Gartner. Mobile apps, progressive web apps, and conversational apps and immersive apps are among the types of application that people use to interact with, immersive app? with and within digital businesses. This magic quadrant will help application leaders assess vendors of MXDPs, which enable development of these types of apps. Sounds like Garner just invented <laughs> a new, is, new quadrant that they could start selling. Oh, yeah, that or Salesforce is like, hey, we kind of need a new quadrant. Uh, can we get in the news? Can, what, can you, what can you do for us, Garner? We write you guys big checks all the time. Come on, do something for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a couple of topics that are in my backlog, and I thought I would just state them. And if you think they should be future topics, let me know. Okay. Oh, so I get to vote yes or no? Yeah. Okay, let me, um, let me get prepared here. Okay. <laughs> you got the buzzer.mp3 buzzer huh? is ready to go. Okay. All right. Let's my go. first statement is, don't be lazy when managing junction objects. Stop deleting and recreating them. Say that again. <laughs> Don't be lazy when managing junction objects. Stop deleting and recreating them. The records. I don't know quite what meme I'm going to give you. A- so you have a ju- you have a junction object. I'm, give you a no, 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 I'm not no, supposed no. to talk about it. That's right. No, that's yeah, right. Okay, I'm, not next, supposed, I'm supposed next. to say it. Uh, abstractions that turned out to be bad ideas. Um, yeah, I like I like that. I'll give that a. <laughs> Oh, so so maybe next week yeah, I'll get okay. those. Yeah, let's yeah. hold those over. Okay, well, as I mentioned at the at the top of the show, um, we have this uh, really uh, amazing Slack. You should really check it out if you haven't already. And it's faster now. Uh, we really appreciate those reviews. So thank you to our reviewers. Um, if you if you like this podcast, if it's something you know that you uh, that gives you that helps you get through that uh, dishwashing or lawn mowing session, then. Uh, and it's just a really easy, quick way to uh, to just say thanks is to is to leave a review in what do you do iTunes or wherever wherever these things are. Uh, you can send us questions that we can cover on the show, or just if you have feedback for us, uh, send us an email at info at gooddayserpodcast uh, We will not use your name unless you specifically give us permission. And otherwise, just all the comments and and stars and hearts. And share with your friends and mention on Twitter and all the places where people do the things. 
Anything else, John? All the things. No. Yep. That last beer was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, well, really can, you, can you tell us what that is? Just so people know, because that was good. You should find this. Beer. Odd 13 Brewing. Odd 13. And it's uh, Intergalactic Juice Hunter. That was, they found the juice, didn't they? They did. <laughs> they, Some good juice. <laughs> Put that in a bottle. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.